Isaiah chapter 56. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar." For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Come, all you beasts of the field, come and devour, all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind, they all lack knowledge. They are all a mute, they are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Come, each one cries. Let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today or even far better. Hello, my name is Evan. I'm the Senior Minister of St. Matthew's. Let's pray that God would help us to understand his word tonight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that you might write your word not only in our minds that we might understand it, but also on our hearts that we might joyfully receive it and on our lives so that we might boldly proclaim it to our world that so desperately needs it. Amen. Now, if reading and listening to the book of Isaiah can in any way be compared with running a marathon, and at times that is what it feels like, it's been an enormous book, then what Isaiah 56 represents is us rounding the last corner, us running into the stadium a mile to go, the the victory line ahead of us, the roar of the crowd in our ears, We're, we're almost there. So he says, trying to give the impression that he understands what it is to run a marathon. But you see, the victory has already been declared. We know that the race is finished. In one sense, the great climax of the book of Isaiah was two weeks ago. It was Isaiah 53, as the servant of the Lord suffered for the sin of the people as he took upon himself the punishment that they deserved for their sin and and won the victory for them. 
Uh, remember the, the incredibly clear message that Isaiah 53.5 uh, gave us. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds were healed. Such a, an incredible passage. And such a clear foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ would do for us at the cross. And then last week in Isaiah 55, we heard the gracious invitation of our Lord that we might come and eat and drink and be satisfied. To come and enjoy all the blessings that God had promised to those who were saved by the servant. And really last week, it actually would have been a great place to end the book of Isaiah. In one sense, the race, the marathon has already finished. Even now in our passage today, in verse 8, the exiles from Babylon, they're they're starting to return. People are starting to be free. They're starting to be rescued. The dawn of God's salvation can be seen just over the horizon. The glory of God's blessings are almost here. And all God's people need to do now is wait. Wait for them to come. Wait for God to keep all of his promises. Wait for the glory that he said would come, come. The perfect end that he had promised finally be revealed fully. And in many ways that means that this chapter, Isaiah 56, is really relevant for us as Christians today. Because we too are those who wait. Uh, Jesus has died. Jesus has been raised to life again, and Jesus has even ascended to the Father's side. And so we know that we are saved when we confess confess with our lips and when we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We even have the Holy Spirit that is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We have all the promises, and yet we don't yet have everything, do we? We don't yet have the glory that will come when Jesus returns. The the glory of all God's blessings, they're almost here and yet they're not yet here. We live waiting in this strange time between the resurrection and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We too are waiting. And so the question Isaiah 56 asks is quite simple. And it's just as important for us now as it was to them then. And that is, how do the people saved by the servant live? What kind of people ought we to be while we wait for this coming glory of the Lord, the future glory that he has promised? And the answer that Isaiah 56 gives us is really simple. We should live differently. We should live differently. We must be different. We must answer life's questions differently from the way that we once did. We must maintain justice. We must do what is right. For God's salvation is close at hand. And his righteousness will be revealed. God is saying to us, you can't live in that unjust, that unrighteous way that you used to live. That's the reason why I sent you into exile. That's the reason why I sent you to be slaves in Babylon. You can't live that way anymore. And you can't live like you did in Babylon because now I have rescued you. And I am bringing you back and I will bless you. You are the people who have been saved by the servants. And so you must live differently, is what God says. Differently, I think, in three ways, in particular in this passage. 
Those saved by the servant will be different when it comes to work and money, from verses 1 and 2. Will be different Proverbs, when it comes chapter to... chapter 17. Better a dry crust with peace and very quiet different. than a house full of feasting with strife. A prudent servant will rule over a disgraceful son and will share the inheritance as one of the family. That was David Suchet. That soothing, mellow voice. I listen to him all the time on my phone. He he helps me read the Bible. Uh, Thank you, David, wherever you are. (laughs) But how do we live as the people the servant has saved? Differently in three ways. Work and money, verses 1 and 2. Sex and family, in verses 3 to 5. And race and power, in verses 6 and 7. Let's take them uh, one at a time, hopefully without any more interruptions. Firstly then, work and money. Come to to verse 1, would you? This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand. And my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this. The person who holds it fast. Who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it. And keeps their hands from doing any evil. Now why the Sabbath? Why does God mention the Sabbath? And actually mention the Sabbath several times in this chapter. And the Sabbath, it was one mark of living the righteous life. It was one mark of living for God, of being obedient to his ways. And so it was one way of maintaining justice and doing what is right. But but why is the Sabbath and justice linked together? And of course, most of you would know this. You'd remember that the Sabbath was a day of rest. It was a day when no one was to do any work, neither you nor your servant, Uh, nor even any of your animals in in your household. Everyone was to rest one day in seven. Uh, Even the land was meant to rest one year in seven. It it just was not just. It was not right uh, to make money or or to do work or to ask others to do work on that day. Uh, Because here's the thing. The Sabbath was one of those things that God gave to his people to remind them that they weren't slaves, that they weren't slaves to work each and every day of their life, that that's not the way that we as people saved by the servant find all of our meaning and all of our significance and, and all of our identity. We're not just workers, we're also resters, we're not slaves. God gave the Sabbath to God's people, if you remember, after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt and so it's no wonder that right here when God is again saying that he's saving them from slavery in Babylon that once again he's talking about the Sabbath and the Sabbath as a reminder that we aren't slaves there is more to life than work more to life than that 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 slavery that we can so easily be caught up in in constantly working, constantly striving for the next achievement or the next accomplishment or the next success in life. The Sabbath was actually a very deliberate limit given by God on how much you could work, on how much success you could achieve, on how much money you could make and on how much you could ask from others as well so that you couldn't exploit other people and make them slaves And so that you couldn't be exploited yourself. It's almost like God was saying to to his people, 
If you don't know how to walk away from work, you know, for the sake of your body, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your relationships, even for the sake of your soul, if you don't know how to stop and rest, then you are a slave. You are exploited. You might not realize it. Uh, You might even do it voluntarily. But if you can't stop and rest, then you are a slave. You're you're a slave of some person or some system and you are being exploited. And that's not how God made us to be. That's not how the servant has rescued us to be. I mean, when you think about our world today, our world so often says to us that, you know, if you want to be successful, you've got to you know, you've got to live in the right sort of place and you've got to have the right sort of career. You've got to uh, in, enjoy the, the right sort of places and, and have this kind of a lifestyle. And to do all of that, you have to work and you have to work really hard. Our world today often makes us slaves. Our world today is a mill and we are the grist and it's grinding us. We are so often slaves. We are so often exploited Unless we Sabbath, unless we can stop, unless we can rest, take the time to to walk away, Uh, take the time to not let the world dictate to us how much we should earn and what we should do with our lives and how much we should work. A Sabbath is, is a reminder to us that we aren't slaves anymore. But the Sabbath is also a reminder to us that we can trust in God to provide. You see, to rest, to to really rest, to really stop, it actually takes a lot of trust in God. Because we have to be able to trust that if we let go, if we stop working, if we stop striving, that God is the one who will catch us. And God is the one who will provide for us. So, great example of this. Exodus chapter 34, verse 21. The Israelite farmer, at harvest time, when everything needs to be brought in and everything needs to be, to be gathered in, the crop is ready. He's told to take the Sabbath even when he sees the storm approaching. Even when he sees the storm that threatens to destroy his whole livelihood and, and destroy his whole harvest, Even then, when every farming instinct in his body says that I need to work every hour of every day to bring this crop in, God still says, you need to stop. You need to Sabbath. Because you need to trust that I'll take care of you. That I'll provide everything that you need. And that when you live for me, you will be blessed. Live my way and I will bless you, says God. It's a Sabbath. It's so important. Stopping and resting is so important. It's about obeying God. It's about living for God. It's about remembering that we aren't slaves. It's about knowing that we can trust God to provide for us. And at the risk of being controversial, I think one of the best ways we can do that is actually by taking one day off in seven. By stopping for a day stopping to spend time with friends and family stopping to to remember that we aren't slaves to remember that we can trust God to provide and don't mishear me I'm not suggesting that that all needs to be the same day 
I'm not suggesting that we need to do Sabbath as ancient Israel did. But we do need to understand what Sabbath stands for. And the best way I can think of doing that is by not working, but by resting one day in seven. Now, there's lots more I'd love to say about this topic. Lots more I'd love to talk to you about work and about rest and about money. So much so that later on this year, we're actually going to have six weeks where we're going to spend talking about these really important topics for our life. But just as those who are saved by the servant are different when it comes to money and to to work and to rest, so too being saved by the servant changes the way that we think about something else important as well. Being saved by the servant also changes the way that we think about sex and family. Come with me to verse 3, would you? Verse 3. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Now, I'm fairly certain that when you came here tonight, none of you were imagining that, gee, I wish Evan would give us a sermon on eunuchs. You know, in fact, I'm fairly confident that at least half the audience here tonight, that is the male half of the audience here tonight, would be very happy if I never talked about eunuchs ever again. But actually, what this passage is saying to us is that when we are saved by the servant, then life is actually about more than sex and family. And it's a beautiful picture here that's given to us. It's an incredibly beautiful picture here in Isaiah 56. Because eunuchs are the very ones who are literally cut off from family life. They're cut off from having children. And therefore, they're also cut off from the community life of Israel. They're even cut off from the worship life of Israel. The eunuch was not allowed to come into God's temple. The eunuch was not allowed to make offerings or to make sacrifices. The eunuch could not expect to have their prayers answered by God. And so they were cut off from passing on their name, from from being remembered. And yet, what are they told here by God? They're told, no, you will have a name and a memorial that is more valuable than children. God says to the eunuchs, I will give you an everlasting name that will endure forever. You won't be remembered as a dry tree. You won't be excluded from his people. I will call you by name. I will call you my son, my daughter, my child." See, you might not realize it yet, but everyone in our world today, we're all engaged in a quest to find meaning and significance and importance. And one of the big ways that people do it is is work, it's achievement, it's accomplishment. But the other big way that people search for it is marriage, relationships, family. It's a way of of having something that lasts beyond our lifetime. It's a way of of being remembered. It's a way of, of kind of pointing to our children and to our grandchildren and saying, here is something of me that goes on beyond me. 
that lasts longer than I will. And yet there are so many people, even in our family, even in our church family, who are forced to live like eunuchs, even if they are not. Those for whom their sexuality is frustrating. And they feel like they have little or no opportunity to express it and fulfill it. There are those amongst us who who long for a relationship, a special relationship they can call their own. There are those who long for and, and want a family but are unable to have one. I'm talking about people in our church family who are single, who have never been married, especially as they grow older. But of course, I'm not just talking about them. I'm also talking about others amongst us who are widowed or who are divorced or those who are even same-sex attracted and yet seeking to honour the Lord with it in their singleness or even those who are married but long for children and God has not answered that prayer. And if that is you, God says to you, this is your place. The church of Jesus Christ, amongst those who are saved by the servant, that is your place. These are your mothers and your fathers and your brothers and your sisters and your sons and your daughters. You belong here. And the love that you show here and the service that you show here, it will be remembered. And your name will be written in the book of life. And you will live forever. You will have a name that will endure forever. Bind yourself to the Lord. Keep his Sabbaths. Love his people. And he will give you an inheritance that is better than any family. You see what this does? This breaks the idol of relationship that says to us that you are nothing unless you're in a romantic, unless you're in a a sexual relationship. You have no value and you have no meaning and you have no worth. And this breaks the idol of family that says that you are nothing without children, that says to women, you are nothing unless you are a mother, that says to men, you are nothing unless you are a father. The servant breaks those idols. And so do the people of the servant. Because in the one who has died for us, we have a name and a memorial that is better than sons and daughters and an everlasting name that endures forever. And this idea, it's too big just to apply to some of us and not also to apply it to those of us who are married, who do have children. Single people in our church are really important to those of us who are married because single people in our church are a clear reminder to us of all of our futures. A clear reminder to us that that all of our futures are not secured by our marriages or, or by our families as much as we love them. That all of our futures are secured by the suffering of the servants. By his death for us on the cross. You know, I thank my God for my wife, Bon, every day. And I thank him for my children every day. But Jesus said that in the new creation, we will neither be married nor will we be given in marriage. We'll be like the angels in heaven, whatever that means. My marriage to Bon is only temporary. It is only for this life. 
One day we will not be married anymore. I hope she'll still talk to me. I hope she'll occasionally kind of sit next to me. But marriage is only momentary. It isn't forever. But the name that Jesus gives us is. And so we need to love our our, our single sisters and brothers for the living testimony that they are to us of all our futures. And we need to honour them for it, especially in the church. Those the servant saves. We're different when it comes to work and money. We're different when it comes to sex and family. And lastly, and very quickly, we're also different when it comes to race and power. Verse 6. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. See, once again, this is great news. Great news for all those who aren't one of God's chosen people, Israel. Because once upon a time, in order to be one of God's people, you had to be a child of Abraham. You had to be of the right family. Or else you couldn't be included. You couldn't come to the temple and make your offering. You couldn't draw near to God. You couldn't pray to God. He would not accept you unless you were from the right family. And there are in the Bible, there's little hints sprinkled throughout the Bible that it would not always be the case. There's these little moments when others are included in. If you know the story of of Rahab or, or the story of Ruth. But here Isaiah is looking forward to a time, he's looking forward to our time. Looking forward to when anyone can be included, no matter what family they are from no matter their race or their their ethnicity or all those barriers will be broken down, Isaiah sees in the people the servant saves, in the time that Jesus has established, when all people can be part of this new community that the servant creates. He will hear their prayers. He will accept their offerings of thanks and praise. And there is no one who cannot be a a full participant in God's people when they turn to Jesus, the servant who died for us. See, the servant's people, we are genuinely open to all. Genuinely open to others who who are different to us, uh, be they from different families and different ethnicities and and different nations. Yes, absolutely. But it's more than just that. All the divisions are broken down. The divisions between rich and poor. The divisions between weak and strong, educated and uneducated. uh, The differences of status and postcode. They're all broken down. Ours is an open community, warmly embracing all who bind themselves to the Lord. And so how do we treat people who are least in the eyes of the world? both in and out of our church? How do we treat those who are not beautiful and not successful and not powerful? 
Well, we love them, don't we? There is no favoritism amongst the people that the servant has saved because none of us deserve to be here. We're all saved only by the sacrifice of the servant. We're all saved only by the cross of Jesus Christ. We aren't perfect people here in church. We aren't even good people. We're just forgiven people. And it's not even that it's not even that we do not sin, it's just that our sin has been paid for. And so that's why when everyone, ever anyone kind of comes to me and, and says that, that old saying that the church is, is full of hypocrites, I say, no. No, it's not. That's not true at all. It's not full. There's always room for another. You come and join us. Come and join the rest of us hypocrites. The rest of us who know we don't deserve to be one of God's people. Who know that we are not good enough for God. But know that Jesus is good enough for God. And he died to save us. Work and money. Sex and family. Race and power. Those who are saved by the servant, they will answer all these questions differently now. They will live differently now. Because in the end, we will do all these things like the one who saved us. Like Jesus. That's the common theme, really, that runs through everything, doesn't it? Those saved by the servant live like the servant. Those saved by Jesus do not live for themselves anymore, but for the one who died for them. And for the future glory that he has promised. Jesus who always obeyed God the Father. Jesus who always kept the Sabbath. Jesus who even withdrew from the crowds because he knew he needed to rest in God. He needed to pray to God. He needed to trust in God. Even though his was the most important mission in the world. He still Sabbathed. He still rested. He still stopped. And yet he was the one who said to us, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Or Jesus, the perfect mature human being. The one human being who has always perfectly obeyed the Father. The one human being compared to which we all measure ourselves and yet he was complete and full and perfect and yet he never married. He never had a a biological family. And yet no one will ever forget his name. And he is the one who said to us, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And of course, Jesus who freely accepts and loves everyone. Anyone who turns to him in repentance and faith, he will save. With no concern for race, no concern for education or social status or economic situation, not even caring that we are nothing more than sinners, not even caring that none of us are good, 
all can have their sins washed away by the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross. So look to Jesus. Look to his example. Look to his way of life. Look to the salvation that he has secured for us, the servant who suffered for us. Look for the coming glory that he will bring when he returns and live as those saved by the servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your righteousness you call out for a people who did not know you. And by the suffering of your servant Jesus, you made us your people. His death, Lord, was in our place so that you might give us an everlasting name that we do not deserve. Yet, Lord, you gave it to us freely. Lord, thank you for this call to justice and righteousness. This call to live differently, to live like our Saviour Jesus. To bind ourselves to you and keep your ways. For your salvation is close at hand and your righteousness will soon be revealed. Lord, in our lives, may others see your salvation and your righteousness. Make us, Lord, to be living testimonies, living sacrifices to your great mercy. So that through us you might gather even more and give them the everlasting name that endures forever. And this we ask to the glory of Jesus who has saved us. Amen.